Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them and thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting and you asked great questions, so thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows to you. Tim Howard. Oh, I appreciate you saying I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Let's Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Hope you're doing well and staying safe. Joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing good. It is uh, almost July 4th, and it's crazy. Every time I come to a holiday, I'm like, it just feels different. And again, this one's going to be a different one. Yeah, it's going to be very different. Uh there's so much going on in July. So we've had some great guests on recently. Ken Griffey Jr., John Smoltz, Candace Parker. The list goes on and on. I would encourage you to go to iTunes or to sportsbusinessradio.com and listen to some of our past episodes. But every once in a while, we like to do one on our own. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, Sports Business Radio co-founder Keith Foreman is going to join me. We're going to do kind of a roundtable discussion. Where are we now July is a huge month, Griggs, for the restart to sports. So PGA has already started. Uh, NASCAR has already started. Now we roll into July and we're going to see what happens here because the COVID cases in the United States are going up. I mean, Griggs, we're seeing 9,000 cases a day in Florida, which is where the NBA and the WNBA and the MLS are headed. We're seeing Arizona and Texas with 8,000 new cases per day. But here's kind of a look at the July sports calendar. So July 5th, Formula One restarts. July 8th, uh, MLS is back. Tournament starts. So MLS gets started again. Uh, July 10th, NHL training camps open. July 23 and 24, Major League Baseball starts again with opening day and, and things like that. They'll get back together sooner than that for uh, an abbreviated training camp. Uh, July 24th, the WNBA will get started. And then July 30th, the NBA will restart. So, Greg, so much on the calendar in July. But what I'm really interested to see is all of these leagues are going to start. Who's going to finish? Is anyone going to finish their sport in 2020, again, as we have the backdrop of increased cases of COVID all around us. Yeah, you're right. And as you list them out there, you realize, wow, there is a big, a big amount of sports starting up in July. So you're right. It's, it's more not just that they're starting, but who's going to finish and are the leagues going to keep going? And, you know, we've already seen it even with PGA, you know, six, seven different people had to drop out this last week at the last tournament because of uh, COVID concerns. So, and, and players are also pulling out uh, before the seasons are starting just because they feel safer at home or they have a kid that, you know, has asthma or something like that. So they don't want to be at risk. So you're right. Who's going to finish? That's the uh, that's what we're watching. Well, as you mentioned, some players already pulling out. I would invite everyone to read Ian Desmond's Instagram post, Major League Baseball player, really thoughtful letter on his Instagram as to why he is not going to participate in the upcoming MLB season. Some of it has to do with COVID. Some of it has to do with other reasons. But I'd encourage everyone to read that really thoughtful uh, piece on his Instagram. 
And then, yeah, we're seeing uh, Mike Leake from the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's not going to play. Ryan Zimmerman from the Washington Nationals. He's not going to play. Uh, we're seeing NBA players say that they can't play. Uh, DeAndre Jordan of the Nets just announced that he has COVID. Uh, Spencer Denwitty from the Nets says he has COVID. So, Griggs, I just don't know how they're going to keep everyone safe. And as you'll hear in the next segment with Keith Foreman, look, if there was no money involved in the restart to sports in a pre-vaccine era, we don't have a vaccine for COVID. I think everyone would agree other than for the psyche of America, because Americans like sports, you're probably not taking the risk. So this is all about mitigating financial losses, maintaining franchise values, delivering content to media partners. And if you remove those factors from the equation, I think everyone would say, you know what, this is so complex, it's so risky, it's so unpredictable, we're not going to return until there's a vaccine. Wouldn't you agree? I totally agree. And I mean, you worked with the Blazers. You know how many people are involved in one professional team. So it's more than just, you know, an athlete here, an athlete here. It's it's a big money business. Every single one of these teams in all these leagues, you know, money's driving it. And uh, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. So the other thing I want to talk about before we get to the conversation with Keith Foreman is some headlines of the week. Uh, Griggs, obviously, Major League Baseball has announced that they're back. As we just said, July 24th is the start date, 60-game season. Just a contentious, contentious uh, battle between the owners and the players. 60 games, I guess, is better than nothing for fans, but why even risk everything? And, and Major League Baseball, their startup plan, look, none of this is easy for the NBA, the WNBA, NWSL. It's not easy to restart. But the thing I don't understand about Major League Baseball is you're literally traveling to other cities and other stadiums. There's no bubble atmosphere. You're going back into your home. You're going back to the ballpark. It just seems so risky, MLB's restart plan. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, it was such a battle to even get to that point. So there's already some, some tempers flaring and some attitude there too. And, uh, man, if, if one of these teams gets 10 guys on it that gets sick and then you're traveling, like you said, traveling around, it's, uh, could be a scary thing. And, you know, we hope it, it all goes well and nothing bad comes from it. And, uh, again, it's just kind of wait and see. Well, and you already see organizations like the Texas Rangers brought back many of their 200 employees to their offices. They've already had to shut them down because there were so many cases of COVID that spread throughout the office. So now you, know, you wonder how many other teams are either going to bring people back into the office, bring them to the stadium, and how many people are going to get sick. We always talk about the players and coaches getting sick and things shutting down. But if you have your front office organization get sick and a lot of them – spread it throughout the organization, you may have to shut down for that reason as well. Yeah, it's uh it's a scary thing. And like you said, it's just it's once you get it in a in a bubble area or an office like that, it can go pretty quickly. And I think you're right. I think the bubble seems to be the plan that makes a little bit more sense. And then you monitor it inside the bubble and obviously you take care of something comes up inside the bubble, you take care of it. But I think it helps limit what's coming in from the outside. All right. The other headline that we'll discuss, Cam Newton a lot of people had wondered, where is Cam Newton, former MVP, former number one pick of the Carolina Panthers, where is he going to wind up? Well, he signs a one-year deal with the New England Patriots. And Griggs, check this out. So, you know, the Patriots supposedly didn't want to pay Tom Brady $30 million plus to play, which is what he ended up getting with Tampa Bay. You look at Dak Prescott, he got $31 million 
per season from the Dallas Cowboys. The Patriots are going to pay Cam Newton, uh, Brian Hoyer, and Jared Stidham $5 million combined, Griggs. So it's amazing the value that they're getting for their three quarterbacks. And look, Cam Newton's been hurt. It's a mostly incentive-laden deal. He can get up to $7.5 million if he reaches all of his incentives. But it's a basic you know, one-year prove-it contract for Cam, either with the Patriots going forward or with another team. But it's going to be a prominent role for him. I can't see how he's not the starting quarterback going into the season, but it makes the Patriots very relevant. They needed an alpha dog to replace Brady, and, and now they have Cam Newton. Yeah, I think, and somebody tweeted out too, you, you lose an MVP quarterback, you sign another MVP quarterback for $25 million less. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. And the other piece of news the Patriots made, remember last year, uh, there was some filming of the Browns-Bengals game. There was an investigation by the NFL. Well, the Patriots have lost their third-round pick in the 2021 draft. They've been fined $1.1 million, and their film crew isn't allowed to film for next season. So those are the penalties. Some people think they got off easy. Other people think it was a little too hard. But I found it interesting as someone who's in the PR game that they announced the Cam Newton signing on the same day those penalties got handed out. It's kind of like... Hey, we're going to offset the bad news with some good news. Yeah, and by far, Cam dominated the news. So I think that was probably a smart move because it's already on the back burner and everybody's like, oh, I don't even remember that being a punishment. Okay, Cam Newton got signed. Cool. <laughs> uh, any big plans for July 4th weekend, Griggs? Definitely barbecuing this weekend, doing some burgers and dogs, the classic American, you know, 4th of July meal. Uh, supposed to get nicer weather here, so we will probably stroll around the neighborhood and see what other uh, firework laden houses are setting off on the 4th of July and just kind of stay close to home. Well, stay safe and have fun. Coming up next, Keith Foreman, the co-founder of Sports Business Radio. We are going to dig into the current sports landscape with the backdrop being increased spread of COVID, also Black Lives Matter and that movement. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now, like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenAndMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com, use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenAndMain.com, code SBR. My guest is Sports Business Radio co-founder Keith Foreman. He and I have not done a roundtable discussion since April 17th, which seems like it was like two years ago. So I'm bringing Keith on. Last time he was on, we did a COVID roundtable. So much has changed since then. Keith, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? Good. Thanks for uh, having me back. Uh, we've been planning to do this for a while, and uh, it does seem like it was three years ago, and yet it wasn't. It was only three months ago, but three years of stuff has happened in that time frame. Yeah, we've had such a good string of guests that we haven't really 
done something like this for a while. So uh, time for us to kind of dig in on the sports landscape as it exists today. Let's start with this. So the backdrop to all of this is is really two things have changed since you were last on. One, if we look at COVID, there are certain hotspots in the country. When you were on last time, the hotspot was New York, and the hospitals were overrun, and, and that was no doubt in the United States the hotspot. Now we're looking at Florida, Arizona, Texas. Florida has 9,000 new COVID cases per day. Arizona and Texas are at 8,000 new COVID cases per day. The other thing that has happened since the last time you were on is the George Floyd murder, Black Lives Matter. This is a movement that is stronger than ever. So as we have this conversation, that's kind of the backdrop and the context of the landscape that we're living in right now. Do you see anything that I'm missing there? No, I think that's right. Well, I mean, it is right. Um, I was just looking at the calendar. And first of all, I owe you an apology. I was, I was beating you up yesterday for the, what was going on in Arizona as far as their increased numbers. Cause you, of course, are from Arizona, but you don't live there anymore. And thus you're not responsible for anything going on there. But, you know, it's crazy when you look at what's happened in Florida, Texas, Arizona, and California. And those just happen to be the four states that most athletes live in. And a significant chunk of of professional teams are going to try to reopen in. So that that's kind of another, you know, backdrop for where we're going. Um, But yeah, I mean, to just kind of like restate or reset where we're coming from, the virus hits in January. It essentially spreads in February. We're talking about in this country, the United States. March 11th is when Rudy Gobert uh, gets diagnosed uh, or, or tests positive. So then we go into lockdown and, and you start seeing the first hits of what's going to happen to sport. And mostly it's individual events are canceled, right? Right out of the gate, tennis cancels the Indian Wells uh, tournament. Um, you know, there's a lot of debate for a while about the Olympics. Of course, they shut it down. Um, and then we move into April and May, and that's just where there's a ton of deliberation. And crazy enough, May is when states begin to reopen. And I want to mention a specific date, Brian, because I think this is really important. Memorial Day was May 25th. What is today? June 29th? Yes. So Memorial Day, May 25th, you saw a lot of really poor decision-making on the monk, you know, by people in general, going out, not socially distancing, not wearing masks, you know, somewhat because the leadership um, at the federal level and the state level said it was okay to go back out. Well, you know, we were surmising that 14 to 21 days out from Memorial Day, we were going to see a huge spike in cases. Well, here we are, you know, 30 days out, and it's just absolutely gotten worse in certain situations than it ever was even in New York. And so now we have July 4th coming at us, right? Right. And most of these team sports are getting ready to go into their trainings before they open at the end of July, which would coincide with whatever spikes might occur from the July 4th holiday. So I don't know. It just feels like we're starting to see this pattern. Well, when you were on last time, we talked about – pre-vaccine and post-vaccine. And that's how a lot of teams and sports organizations had been planning. 
what are you doing before we have a vaccine? What are we doing after we have a vaccine? And I tweeted this out last week, and, and I'm really convinced this is the case. This is all about mitigating financial losses, maintaining franchise values for teams, and delivering to media partners. If you took away all of the money involved with sports, everyone would agree it is not prudent to return to play without a vaccine. Because the thing that's really surprising to me, Keith, is nothing has changed since the last time you were on in April. No one has come up with a vaccine. No one has come up. The only thing that's changed is, yes, there are more tests. So, yes, there are more positive tests because of the fact that there are more tests. But it's not like the virus has magically gone away. So when we see states like Arizona and Florida and Texas aggressively reopening, it's like the sports world has said, well, we're just going to put our head down and, and keep going on this. And it leads me to believe, and you and I have had this conversation offline many times, if I was in Vegas and they had odds on is there any team sport in the United States that actually finishes play in the year 2020, I'm probably betting against it. I'm betting that there is no team sport in the United States that will finish play in 2020. We know that golf and NASCAR – Tennis, these are more individual sports, horse racing. But when you're talking NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, NWSL, WNBA, Major League Soccer, NFL, and college football, I just don't see them making it through a whole season. And Keith, the precursor to this a little bit when the team sports come into play, look at what's happening in college football right now where LSU, Clemson, Kansas State shut their football program down in one week. I don't see how it's possible to limit the spread of COVID in a team sports setting. Yeah, I think the operative word you said there was whole season. Right. So, like, what even constitutes a whole season anymore, right? So, like, the NBA decided that we're going to finish our season and then have a playoff tournament. The NHL... I suppose has decided they're just going to go right into the playoffs. You know, MLB is going to go to a 60 game season. Um, we, there's lots of potholes and, and question marks on, on if and how that can happen. I, I guess what's really happening is that, you know, sports is all about equal playing fields, right? And never before have we seen a situation where all of the playing fields have been so unequal depending on the time of year that you're playing. I mean, football still has been able to kind of sit back and wait and watch and see what happens before they have to start answering some tough questions. And that day's coming soon. Yeah, it is. And again, they get to see everyone else go first. But if you use college football as kind of a litmus test, it doesn't bode well for the rest of college football and for the NFL. And the reason it's so hard in football is – the rosters are so big. You've got so many people in a confined locker room space traveling on an airplane together. There's just a lot of guys. When, when you're looking at basketball, you have, you know, 15 men or women on a team. It's a little bit easier to control the spread of a virus. But, you know, Keith, there are so many holes. God bless everyone who's trying to do this the best way they can, but the NBA. You know, they're, they're going to live in the bubble of Disney World, but then the workers are going to come in and out of the bubble. So are they really 
protected because you have people coming in and out of the bubble. Again, in Florida, one of the hot spots in the country. You look at Major League Baseball, they're going to be traveling within their region. So they're not even staying in a bubble. They're going to be going back and forth. They're going to go back to their homes. Who knows if someone has it in the home and gives it to the athlete, the athlete takes it to the locker room and vice versa. There's just, it goes back to what I said. This is all about mitigating financial losses, maintaining franchise values and delivering to media partners. Because if that wasn't the case, you would say, we're waiting until there's the vaccine. We're waiting until there's, you know, more safety associated with all of this and we'll shut it down for 2020. But everyone is trying to save their money and this is what we're going to see happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, nowhere is that really more exposed than, you know, as you said, with college athletes. I mean, it's one thing to be a professional athlete getting paid, um, to go, you know, use your, your, you know, high end, high level athletic, professional athletic body to go make money. Um, and, uh, and, and for your short period of time that you can do that. Um, and, and that's a tough decision. Some have decided they're not going to do it, but with the uh, college athletes, it's just a whole different equation. So how do you, how do you want to tackle this? I mean, there's so many different directions we can go. Do you want to go league by league? Do you want to go issue by issue? Um, Yeah, let's go, let's go league by league. So, you know, again, we'll start with the individual sports. PGA Tour, they've returned. They're seeing positive tests. They're seeing golfers, caddies, people who are associated with golfers and caddies have to be removed from play immediately. So that's already taking place. NASCAR, uh, you know, they've handled it well so far as far as the COVID is concerned. Um, Tennis, we'll see. You know, the U.S. Open is going to start August 24th in New York. There's going to be no fans. Serena's on board, but other than Serena, Keith, there's no marquee players that are going to play in that event. Nadal is really on the fence right now. Federer's hurt. So, again, you know, you're doing the U.S. Open and you're doing some of these events to fulfill your sponsorship and your financial obligations. You're not doing it because it's going to be a great event this year with no fans and no marquee players, right? Right. Well, and you just, I don't want to gloss over two big, big sports stories um, regarding NASCAR and tennis. So um, tennis real quickly first, you know, Djokovic is the other one of the top three players in the world. And, you know, he, he's kind of an odd, odd dude as far as like his personal beliefs when it comes to vaccines and all that kind of stuff. Well, he decided to have his own, charity tournament and a ton of people got sick right including himself and his wife and his his coach and all that kind of stuff and he was just ridiculed uh for some of the decisions that he made in that regard and so i think that you know really opened a lot of eyes at least in the tennis world you know for how those athletes are going to come together for tournaments moving forward i can't imagine the u.s open was too thrilled to watch that performance um well and by the way let me stop you for one second uh Jokic from the nba's denver nuggets was part of you know hanging out with those guys and and he got COVID. exactly um okay and then there's nascar and look we could do uh, three hours on nascar alone right um, you know, you saw a lot of really power, powerful stuff written about how, you know, this whole Bubba Wallace situation um, has evolved 
and, you know, the commitment from NASCAR to support him and the PR strategy and, and, and the images and the messages and everything around, you know, Black Lives Matter. Um, and, you know, some interesting stuff written about how NASCAR did more for, for Bubba and support of him in a weekend than you've seen the NFL in years do for their players um, and for cap. So I don't know. That's a whole other issue. We don't necessarily need to go into that one right now. Cause I do want to go, go through all these, all these leagues. Um, but you know, those are, those are really outliers compared to the core team sports that we're kind of right. trying to figure out right now. Yeah. Agreed. Because it's easier to keep those athletes separate from everyone else in a team sport. Again, you're sharing a locker room. You're on a plane. If you're a college athlete, you're probably living in a dorm with your teammates. It's really hard to keep people kind of isolated. So let's yeah. start with NBA. So, you know, they were the first ones to shut down. They've wanted to come back. Adam Silver has been on record saying he feels like it's important to the psyche of America for sports like the NBA to return and give people something to pay attention to. And I don't disagree with that. But I also think, again, I'll keep going back to the reason that the leagues and the universities, everyone's trying to save their money right now and mitigate the financial losses and deliver content to the TV partners. If you're not going to have fans in the stands, at least we can put it on TV. So the NBA has the bubble in Orlando and you know, we've seen Kyrie Irving and we've seen other athletes be outspoken against this. It is going to be tough, Keith. I mean, if you're one of the teams that makes it to the finals, you're going in in July and you're not coming out until late October. So you're away from your family. And in the meantime, like we said, the Disney workers, who, by the way, are part of a union, it's not like the NBA can just say, hey, we're bringing in our own workers. We're going to use them. 35 people from each team can come to Orlando and that counts the players that counts the coaches that counts probably a PR rep. It counts a trainer. It counts a nutritionist or a chef. A lot of teams are going to bring their own chef, but the thing that's different is the Disney workers can come and go. So again, you've got this bubble, but it's like there's a little hole in the bubble and there's air that comes in that hole and the air is going to be the Disney workers. So a lot of the players are saying, wait a minute, our families can't come in until X time. How come the workers can come and go every day? I get what the NBA is trying to do here. And again, it's an impossible situation for Adam Silver and for the teams. But it seems like a, a pretty big concern that I would have as part of this restart. Yeah, the, boy, you had, you know, you had asked earlier, which of the leagues, you know, can actually make it through and play their complete season. I, Crazily enough, I think the NBA has got the best shot at it because on paper, their plan seems to make more sense uh, than some of the other leagues. Uh, even Fauci, uh, I think, you know, uh, at one point was saying he was impressed with the creativity of their of their plan. I think it was something like that. Um, so the problem is these players have never been in, in anything like this before. And they're going to be asked to be incredibly disciplined and they're going to be asked to be essentially without their support systems, their families. Um, and so you just wonder from just a purely human, you know, psychological standpoint, uh, can they pull this off? The other thing that, the one thing that bothered me about the NBA's plan was I was all in favor of them just ending the season, you know, at whatever it was, the 68, 69 game, 
mark, 70 game mark, and just go to your playoff tournament with the teams that were in, you know, when they shut it down on March 11th. Because I just personally feel like having an end to the season to have a few teams play their way in, it's just going to, there's going to be a lot of tanking, or if you all of a sudden are out of it, it's just going to be a lot of, of like, unneeded, uncertain uh, activity. I, I think I like the NHL deciding you're in. This is who's going. There's a bunch of teams that are not in. They don't have to go. Make it more uh, direct. Make it make it simpler for everybody to understand who's in and who's out. Yeah, I agree, but I think part of it is the NBA has to have a minimum number of games broadcast to satisfy their media partners. They're right on that cusp. So I think they needed right. some games to add to the schedule so they could meet those minimums. The other thing is, is, uh, and this well, is and Brian, sorry, not to cut you off, but that goes right back to what you were saying. I mean, again, most of these decisions are being made, uh, strictly out of financial, uh, business, uh, related. So, so, you know, what might be best for the player's health, what might be best for the way a tournament can be structured is going to be compromised by financial obligation. Well, and by the way, the players want to earn money because they are in the prime of their careers. They, you know, have a, a short window to maximize their money. So if they lose a season or the rest of a season in the case of the NBA, it costs them a lot of money. So there is some financial incentive for the players to participate in this plan. Total side note here, but I want us to keep track of three years from now, four years from now, five years from now. The tampering that is going to take place in Orlando with free agents, everyone's going to be after Giannis. Everyone's going to be after Joel Embiid. Everyone's going to be after Ben Simmons. Jason Tatum, I mean, it is going to be crazy because they're going to be living with each other for months. They can come and watch each other's games. I mean, we've seen guys get together at the Olympics and become friends, and then they wind up on the same team when free agency comes a few years later. This is going to be next-level craziness because you're not going to the Olympics for two weeks. You could be around someone for five months. So the friendships that are going to come out of this and – Probably the free agent well, signings in the future. It's going to be crazy. Well, it's even written into the to the protocol, the playbook of how what dates you can engage, you know, certain people. Like so, for a certain period of time, it can only be you know a few of your teammates. Then it's your whole team. Then all of a sudden, there's a date where it's okay to go hang out with with other teams. So yeah, it's written into the plan. Well, and I'll tell you what, the NBA. I th- what was it? 101 pages. Their document that they put out. They put some serious thought into this. So if this fails. It's not because they didn't put a lot of thought into it. So, you know, they've got everything from uh, meetings about Black Lives Matter. Supposedly, they're going to let players put statements on the back of their jersey um, if they want to instead of their last name. There's going yeah. to be, you know, games taking place. There's going to be uh, a medical center. Like, they're really going all out to try and make this the best possible experience for the players if they've got to keep them in this bubble. So I I tip my hat to the NBA for the thought that went into this. It's just, Keith, as we've said many times, this is science. No one can predict what science is going to do going forward. Yeah. The other thing the NBA has going for it, I believe, is it's the most, to me, this is the most relevant national tournament of all the sports taking place. In other words, if you have like, 
you know, game 11 of an MLB 60 game season up against, you know, on the TV schedule, you know, a significant NBA playoff game. The NBA playoffs is a very relevant thing. This, the whole country will tune in to watch that regardless of what market you're in and what team you're watching. Whereas baseball, we all know, has become a much more regional sport from a television standpoint as far as who's watching and where and how many. So they've got that going for them. The other thing is the whole Black Lives Matter. And, you know, you've already seen real leadership by you know, the NBA players on how they want to use this platform um, to uh, to further this movement. And so I think you're going to see some pretty powerful uh, moving, um, you know, testimonials and 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 examples uh, from from those players. And, you know, the league is all on board. In fact, you know, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, you could argue the NBA's led all the leagues as far as supporting their players so I, I think those two areas uh, put, position the NBA well for the next, you know, couple months, as long as the COVID doesn't just completely render it obsolete. Yeah, and I would also chime in and say the WNBA and the NWSL have done a great job with their players and the Black Lives Matter and the social justices. And, and we saw the NWSL restart this past weekend and, you know, there were T-shirts, there were kneels, there were statements made, and it was very powerful. So you know, I think all these leagues are bonding together. They're trying to make statements, and they're trying to use their platforms in, in the best way possible. But again, for the purpose of this conversation, we've got that and we've got COVID is kind of the two dominating factors here in the restart to these sports. And so NBA – We'll see. I just, Keith, if a, if a team has it spread through their locker room, if a coach gets sick, um, there's just so many things that could go wrong. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, the NBA has not come out, none of these leagues have, and said, if X happens, then Y happens. Right. Like, right. no one has said, if half of a team gets sick, then we shut it down. I mean, look, the NBA shut down over one positive test, Rudy Gobert. So now you would think, okay, if half of a team gets sick, well, then they're going to really shut it down again. They're saying they're going to remove people from the environment. But, I mean, let's just use this hypothetically. Let's say the Milwaukee Bucks and the L.A. Lakers make the NBA Finals. And Giannis and LeBron James and, you know, half of the Bucks get sick. Are you really going to continue to play the finals and, and satisfy your TV partners? But everyone knows that this isn't really good for your sport. I, it'll be interesting to see what the threshold is with all of these team sports as to, you know, when it shuts down again. God forbid someone dies, but that would obviously be something that would, I would hope shut it down very quickly and, and probably cause other sports to shut down. Cause you look at the NBA when they shut down on March 13th, everyone followed after that. I mean, they were kind of the, the trigger for yeah. all of this. So, you yeah. know, is it going to be the NBA? Is it going to be another sport where you see mass COVID sicknesses and then people say, you know what, this plan, we tried it, but in pre vaccine times, like we're in right now, we just can't do this. Well, and you saw it real quickly already with the NWSL. I mean, you had nine teams in that league. Orlando City, of all areas, right. went to a bar. A bunch of their players went to a bar, is what I read, 
and uh, 10 people got, you know, tested positive. So they bowed out of the tournament. So the league decided, well, we're still going to have our tournament. We're just going to have eight teams instead of nine. And, uh, you know, ominously enough, that happened in Orlando, which is where, you know, you've got three different leagues heading to play their tournaments. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if the other leagues uh, are able to do the same thing that the NWSL did. Yeah, so you've got NBA, you've got Major League Soccer, and you have WNBA all headed right. to Florida to have their events, which, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but maybe you take those – this was all planned in, in, like, April. So maybe you take those playoffs somewhere else now since Florida has 9,000 cases per day. It's just – it's crazy, but you can't really scrap it at this point and say, hey, we're going to – you know, Idaho or Wyoming or Nebraska or somewhere where there aren't as many COVID cases. Yeah, it's, yeah. And I got to think now you've got players that, and again, these, these players, when you're a professional athlete, your body is your livelihood. You, you have to be incredibly careful with what you eat and how you work out and who you work out with and all that kind of thing. And so, you know, I wouldn't blame an athlete one bit. I'd be disappointed if my favorite player on my favorite team chose not to go for their own personal safety reasons. But I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Now, it's uh, it's crazy times. Um, let's look at Major League Baseball. Because I think, you know, we, we've been critical of Major League Baseball. and We've certainly heard about it. You've got two things going on here. One is... How do we navigate COVID, which is a huge issue for Major League Baseball, because I think they have the worst return plan of any team sport in the United States. And then you've got the labor battle between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. And yes, they got a deal done. Yes, it's a 60-game season. It starts July 23rd or 24th. But I just feel like this is the brother and sister that just had an argument, and the parents are saying, all right, you two get back out there and you get along. And if you don't, then, you know, this family's ruined. And and they're being forced to do this. They're not doing this out of partnership. They're not doing this because they want to do this. Again, they're mitigating financial losses. They're maintaining franchise values. And they're delivering to their media partners. Those are the only reasons that they're having a 60-game season. And I've said this before in other episodes, Keith. 60 games feels like why even take the risk for 60 games? I mean, just shut it down well, until next year. Well, you know why it's all again, it's all financial. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, Brian, you know, I'm a, a, a more of a baseball fan than any other sport. I, I'm a Dodger fan. I, I love baseball and yet I don't trust this league one bit. And a lot of that comes from the fact that they clearly don't trust each other, the owners and the players. And so it's just a fascinating, bizarre time in, in baseball. I mean, in the last eight months, we've watched maybe one of the greatest World Series of all time take place, you know, the, with the Nats, you know, beating the Astros. And then we watched the whole cheating scandal uh, development, you know, with the Astros and, and the Red Sox and the way that was handled. And then, of course, the pandemic hits. And then we were treated to just a disgraceful uh, labor battle, um, play out, uh, between the players and the owners. And that isn't ending, ending anytime soon. We know that, um, that's going to rear its ugly head again in the future. And we're left with a, uh, league imposed 60 game season and an even crazier, um, plan 
for, for being able to play, you know, with the COVID in the backdrop and some of these other leagues. And, you know, whereas the NBA is trying to do this all in one place and mitigate so many things in one location, baseball is all over the map. And a third of baseball's teams happen to play in Florida, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, and California. And these are the states that have the worst, you know, COVID situations. And so baseball said, well, if the health officials in a certain state uh, dictate that you can't play there, then they'll just move somewhere else. Well, really, how's that going to play out? So I guess for me, of all the scenarios, of all the leagues, 60 games doesn't sound like much. I'm not sure if any of the teams will end up playing all 60 games based on the various forces, uh, you know, kind of combining uh, potentially against them. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm, I'm not a big gambler and I'm not one of those people that, you know, bets on a lot of things unless I'm in person in Las Vegas. I would find the five to 10 longest shots on the board odds wise in Major League Baseball. And I'd put 10 bucks down on them because if ever there was a season where like the Seattle Mariners are <laughs> the champions at the end of this thing, this is a 60 game season. Anything can happen. And as you and I have discussed offline, Keith, let's say you're a team and you start three and 17. You're done. You're mailing it in. You're, you're 20 games into the season. You're mailing in the rest of the schedule on the flip side. Let's see, you know, the Mariners or the Marlins or someone you totally don't expect. They get off to a nice start. Now all of a sudden you're like, okay, you know, this is a short 60 game season. We can sneak into the playoffs. Anything can happen this year. It's going to be crazy with baseball. And I would totally expect that someone's going to sneak in that you don't expect. Well, I don't think it's going to be the Mariners. I don't think Mariner fan could even tell you who their starting lineup is. I don't think Mariner fan even knows who's on. Well, I'm, I'm using two of the worst teams, the Mariners and the Marlins, as examples. They're probably – I don't have the odds in front of me, but I'm guessing they're the two longest shots on the board. Yeah, probably. The other thing that's so crazy is they're going to try to pull off a 60-game set schedule in essentially – well, what is it, 66 days? I mean, if, if the – if spring training or summer training – is July, and they're essentially going to start the beginning of August. Then they've got August and September to get this this schedule, um, and then October is essentially their playoffs. And this is a tough one because you know that's where Fauci's come out and says he would not uh, recommend playing games in October, just based on his prediction for how he sees a resurgence or spread or whatever. So who knows? And then you've got, of course, weather. You've got serious weather issues, summer hurricanes and, and, and all that kind of stuff, in, potentially in, in August and September. And then you've seen baseball in October and November. Sometimes that's not such a great time to play, like, play the game. Right. Well, and the thing we haven't even mentioned is, again, no fans in attendance. So the sports I've watched so far that have no fans in attendance, it's a lot different than I thought it would be. It, it's, it's, much less of an enjoyable experience than I thought it would be. I really underestimated the impact of fans in the stands. And, you know, I even listened to Dustin Johnson after he won the PGA tournament this last weekend. And, you know, he said you just have to kind of block it out of your mind. But I think it does make a difference. And I think with team sports, it's going to make an even bigger difference. John Smoltz was on with me, what, two months ago. And he just said, like, it's going to be really weird calling a game and, and, there's no fans in attendance. And by the way, total side note here, Keith, but we both have friends who work in broadcasting. And 
that's another thing that's going to change. You're going to have quote unquote world feeds with these games. So the teams are going to be in their home market calling the game. They're not traveling to Orlando or wherever the games are going to be taking place and they're going to be calling games remotely. So that's going to be different too. We might see some different camera angles and maybe some players and coaches mic'd up that we haven't seen before, but it's going to be very different because again, 35 people in the NBA from each team allowed inside the bubble. They're trying to limit the number of essential people inside of a stadium or arena and broadcast crews aren't going to be part of that other than like that one main feed where the local teams will take the world feed. Yeah. And travel is the issue here. I mean, when you think about how many people need to travel quickly between, you know, uh, locations to do broadcasts. I mean, you talk to anybody that works in, in sports broadcasting, they are always racing from, you know, one market to another. And sometimes they don't even know until a week ahead of time where they're going next. Well, that kind of travel is not, it's just not going to be possible uh, for that many people, you know, in this current situation. Well, and if you uh, want a real kind of sneak inside of uh, the playbook here, I've talked to a number of teams and going forward, you know, we talked last time you were on April 17th about what's the new normal going to look like. Well, new normal is you're not going to be allowed in locker rooms unless you're essential personnel, which includes players and coaches and maybe a few others. So that means media. And then the other thing that's going to change is on the team planes, you used to be able to bring your broadcast crew and your social media person yeah. and your PR team and, you know, your trainer and, and – that's all going to change. Going forward, I've talked to many teams that have said on the team plane going forward, it's only the players and the coaches and maybe a trainer. It's essential personnel. So now if you're a team, you've got a budget to fly commercial to all these games during the course of the season for your talent, for your producers. Does that make it so that everything is done remotely? going forward because a lot of budgets aren't going to allow for that added expense of broadcast travel and production travel. They're going to have to say, well, we'll just call this from a singular feed in that market and our broadcasters will be in the home market calling the game. Yeah. And then you're going to see teams really leaning on their already pretty thin social media departments. I mean, in a lot of cases, you'll have one to two social media you know, people that'll be part of that inner circle of, of personnel that are allowed in and have gone through all the protocol. And they are going to be responsible for everything, shooting video, shooting pics, writing stories, doing interviews, yeah. editing content. I mean, that is a heavy job for someone. But if you're, I'll, I'll say this, we have a lot of students who listen to the show. If you're a journalism student, that is the job going forward. But you better be able to wear all the, the tool belt things that Keith just described. You better be able to write, yeah. take pictures, take video, yeah. edit. These are all tools that you have to have in the belt, but you are going to be close to that team and you're going to be a storyteller on a number of different levels. Yep, that's right. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. Nearly 20 years ago, Boingo dreamed of a world where people could connect to the wireless internet anywhere with any device. Today, that dream is reality, and Boingo has been at the forefront. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most. Boingo keeps people connected to the people and things they love with next-generation networks built for the 5G era. They are the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., and they work with sports teams across the NFL, NBA, MLS, NCAA, and more. 
from 5G and CBRS to DAS and Wi-Fi, Boingo is a trusted partner for staying connected now and in the future. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. Connectivity is more important than ever, and you can learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. So NHL, we kind of talked about that before. They're going straight to the postseason. I don't think they've announced where their games are going to take place yet, so that's still to be determined. And, you know, part of that is kind of looking smart right now, Keith, because whereas the NBA came out and said, we're going to be in Orlando, NHL is kind of seeing how the landscape and COVID spreads. And now they're going to be able to be pretty darn current with, all right, these are the two markets. Most people think there's going to be a Canadian market and then there's going to be a U.S. market for the two locations. Mm -hmm. But they're going to be able to really take a good look at the most current lay of the land and say, we're going to these two places. And hopefully, you know, the COVID spread there isn't as bad as what we're seeing in Florida, Texas, Arizona, places like that. They also have more certainty. They know that there are, what, one, two, three, seven, seven teams that will not return. Right. A lot of people that could already move into their off seasons and or already are. And, 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 you know, you've only got 12 teams now uh, that have to figure out their playoff strategy. So there just seems to be a little bit more certainty about their 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 uh, tournament or at least the structure, just not the logistics. All right. Major League Soccer, that's also in the bubble in Orlando. You used to work for the Portland Timbers. You're very familiar with Major League Soccer. How do you think that thing unfolds? Well, you know, Major League Soccer has an opportunity um, to position itself, just like the women's soccer did this weekend, uh, in front of a national audience uh, without as much competition as in the past. And so I guess they're going to get what? Uh, a couple weeks before NBA and baseball starts up, so three weeks. So that's a huge deal for them. I mean, they're still trying to grow their audience. They're still trying to win people over. Um, so that's a positive. Definitely getting their product in front of more people, uh, new people, is a win for them uh, by starting up when they are in early July. The problem is soccer – Probably soccer needs people in the stands uh, uh, for the TV broadcast uh, so badly. I mean, it's just such a part of that culture. Supporter culture is drums beating and 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 fans chanting and 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 all of that. And to not have that and to be playing on neutral fields is really a bummer. Well, and we've um, seen some of the international broadcasts, and they've piped in some of the supporter noise and, and things like that, but it's still just not, you know, someone scores a goal and they're like blowing kisses to nobody. And again, I get it. I'm not saying there should be fans in the stands. It's just right. a different broadcast experience. The other thing is that these are all going to be nationally broadcast um, uh, games. So either on Fox or ESPN or on any of the various, you know, um, uh, sub networks or, or channels. And so that's going to be funky because, um, there'll be some real compromises as it goes, as it relates to the broadcast personalities that each team's fans have come to know or even sponsor related activity for, for, for each of these teams. Again, there's, 
it's there's not really a home or a visit team so it's hard to know well wh- who are we really watching here and that's the other thing I really hope MLS is able to do through these broadcasts is introduce who these players are. You know, this is probably the sport that has the least amount of U.S. born players. Right. So if they've got a brand new national audience, you know, a lot of this audience has no idea who these guys are. And, you know, it's something I wish the NWSL could have done a little bit more is put a spotlight on who these who these women are, to, you know, tell these stories so we can get a chance to to kind of get into to these, you know, have an, an emotional attachment to them. I mean, we know who these NBA guys are. We know who a lot of the MLB players are. I don't think this country knows much about these MLS players at all. So it's a real opportunity to sell those stories. One thing I did notice as a best practice with NWSL, the game on CBS, is there's no fans in the stand. So NWSL has these gigantic tarps, and it had the logo of each team, and then it had their primary sponsor. So uh, I thought that was a nice value add for the sponsor. We've heard other leagues, other teams may do this as a, as a way to capture some extra revenue or provide a value add for the team sponsor. But, uh, you know, you might as well, instead of looking at empty seats, whether it's cutouts with fans or whether it's, you know, big tarps like we saw with the NWSL, you might as well use that inventory. Well, and that's something MLS really could do. So one of the wonderful things about soccer culture is the TIFOs, the large painted, right. you know, canvases that the fans, you know, will, um, will put up, you know, before a game, uh, match begins. And God, that would be really cool if the different supporters groups for each of the clubs in MLS could, could send a, a bunch of these TIFOs and those could be set up. It would just be a little bit more organic and, and natural to the sport to have that. But I agree. Rather than just seeing empty seats or putting some computer generated, you know, uh, element over the seats, just accept it. They are empty. We all know it. Same thing with the noise that they're piping in. We get that it's empty, but you know, don't overdo it with the noise. Maybe just subtle, subtle noises are okay to help the broadcast. But I just wish you could mic more of the play on the field. But of course, it's the you know f bombs that I think. You know, people are so freaked out about, uh, but to hear coaches yelling on the sideline, to hear the players, you know, yelling instructions at each other, that's, that would be wonderful, but we haven't really heard that yet. All right. Let's move on to us open tennis. Again, it starts August 24th in New York city, no fans in attendance. Keith, this is one that is right for lots of COVID problems because you're looking at an international field here. So, you know, again, you're not from a certain region, you're not from a certain state, you're bringing players in, much like the Olympics, from all over the world. And, you know, again, I wonder, it's an individual sport, but I wonder what happens if Serena Williams gets COVID or one of the marquee players gets COVID. Do you shut it down or do you just say, well, too bad for the player, they got sick, they forfeit, and we proceed to the the finals? Yeah, this is an interesting one. And I'm look, I'm happy for a lot of the players that maybe are a little bit lower down in the rankings because they're going to have an opportunity to make some serious money if a lot of the top players bow out. Uh, and from a television standpoint, you just you, you always have, you kind of think that tennis works. You can pull off 
doing tennis exhibitions, just like golf right? Um, on a broadcast. So from that standpoint, I feel like it shouldn't be an issue. It's, it's all that background stuff that's going to be funky. I mean, tennis, traditionally, they have like a singular, you know, women's locker room and men's locker room, and everybody kind of shares that same locker room, you know, so they're going to have to deal with that. And then, of course, you know, all the different camps, so to speak. And, and look, these, these tennis players travel with pretty big entourages and family support, and they all stay in different places. Some stay in houses, some stay at hotels. There's, Lots of going back and forth. The U.S. Open in New York is not the easiest place to be staying somewhere and then getting to the actual, you know, uh, tournament location. Um, so logistically, as far as the, the competitors are concerned, um, that's going to be a, an interesting one to watch. Uh, WNBA. So Kathy Engelbert has been on the show. I think she's done a magnificent job. They're going to be playing in Florida, but not in the bubble in Disney World, they're going to be at IMG. Again, Florida is a hot spot. The thing I like about this for the WNBA is they seem to have less people going and coming through the bubble. And then, you know, Keith, they've been as socially conscious as any league out there, even before the George Floyd murder and and the big push with Black Lives Matter in the last few months. So I think they have a tremendous opportunity, A, to – you know, like you said earlier, bring some new fans to their sport and B, to really use their platform to improve our world as well. I think of all the leagues and sports we've we've listed, this one might have the best uh, chance for success as far as just the way they package everything up, their ability to pull this thing off. Uh, I think it's a pretty reasonable plan. You know, it's not too many people. It's not too many games. Um, look, I'll just say it. I think women are generally smarter and more disciplined than men. They hit their free throws. They just, I don't know. I, I, I feel good about this. I also think women's hoops in general is, is really on a nice upswing. I think there's much more recognition of who the players are. The college women's game has gotten better. There's more teams than just Connecticut, you know, that people are aware of. And so because of that, you're starting to see more recognizable names that have come into the league in the last few years. We're going to get to see Sabrina Unescu. I can't wait. You know, yeah, I, there's a lot going for the WNBA right now. Yeah, I agree. And again, Kathy Engelbert, I've met her in person, had her on the show. She is as sharp as they come. So she deserves a lot of credit for getting the collective bargaining agreement done earlier in the year, for managing the, the live draft virtually, and for this restart plan, because I think it's a good one. And I would agree with you, Keith. I think if there's any team sport that's going to make it through pre-vaccine, it is going to be the WNBA. I, I think they. this is a very uh, attainable goal for them. All right, let's move into football, and we've talked about it a little bit. You've got college football, and then you've got the NFL. This is where, oh, boy, you know, you've got the yeah. big locker rooms. We're getting into the colder weather. You're looking at a potential second wave. There's just so many unknowns here. But I'll tell you, the owners who are talking, like, there are going to be uh, fans in the stands. What are they smoking? <laughs> I mean, seriously, what? How yeah. do you think you're going to have fans in the stands, especially at college football, where you've got typically eighty to a hundred thousand fans in the stands? I, I just this is of of all the sports out there, football to me feels like the one where they're trying to jam a, a square peg in a round hole, and 
I just think there's going to be so many layers of problems to this because of the size of the teams. Yeah, this is one where you think about how, you know, sports is all about equal playing fields. This is not an equal playing field. This is where you realize how big this country is and just the different sentiments for the game in different, in different, re, in different parts of the country. I mean, you just got to wonder, you know, the South, the SEC, of course, is, is rabid about football. And then there's certain traditional NFL markets that are rabid about football. And then there's other markets that are not. And then there's your hotspot markets. And then it's just, it doesn't feel like you're going to be able to have consistency across any conference, you know, or any league when it comes to football. And then just the sheer numbers are unbelievable. And then the decision making. I mean, like you said, Kansas State shut down their, their, um, summer, uh, college football training when only a couple people tested positive. In one week. Meanwhile, yeah, meanwhile, Clemson's, football team i mean a third of the team is tested positive and i don't think it's changed anything and lsu as well well here's the problem again what did i say at the beginning of the conversation mitigate financial losses maintain franchise values deliver to media partners if you're the ncaa if you're a college football program you are the money maker for your university none of the other sports happen if football doesn't happen the budget for football pays for everything else. They already lost money from March Madness, men's and women's basketball. If you lose football, does your athletic department literally shut down after this? You probably don't have the resources to recover from a full year of losing basketball and football. So that is the driver for this. That's why you're trying to fit the square peg into a round hole. You're like, you know what? We're literally in survival mode here. Our athletic department gets shut down if we don't play football this year. So I get the business part of this, but from a logistics standpoint, like we just said, I think there's going to be a ton of problems. Yeah. And again, everybody's dealing with different issues based on their financial situation. I mean, look at, look at UCLA. I mean, Under Armour, uh, wants to pull out of their, their $280 million 15 year, uh, deal, uh, citing that the, the league or the, the school hasn't been able to provide the, the marketing, you know, um, that was agreed to in the contract. And, uh, you know, that I was reading the UCLA athletics department's already in a deficit of, you know, 18 million for 2019. I mean, those are real, really scary big numbers. Right. Yeah. And you wonder, you know, the Nikes, the Adidas, the Under Armors, are they going to see, okay, Under Armour was able to recoup their money from UCLA. These other companies are going to try and do the same thing. It's no different than what we discussed on April 17th when you were on. The the make goods, the force majeure language, like there's going to be all kinds of those conversations and negotiations coming out of this. But that UCLA Under Armour Examples, a, a really good one. Keith, NFL. You know, again, franchise values, mitigating losses, TV. There, there's no one that gets TV numbers like the NFL. So the other thing about the NFL that puts them in a better position than any other team sport in the United States is they make so much money from TV that if they just got the TV money, they're going to basically break even. They, they're, they're the only sport that can say, no fans in the stands and 
no ancillary revenues from having home games and fans in the stands, and we'll still be able to break even because we make so much money from TV. Everyone else is going to lose money because they can't have fans in the stands. So NFL, it's all about can we produce games so we can deliver for our TV partners and get that TV money. But again, we're going to be going into what you would think is a second wave in the fall. And you've got large rosters where if, you know, 10 guys on the team or 30 guys on the team get sick, do you shut it down? Do you have to forfeit the game? What do you do? Yeah, this one feels, I mean, you're absolutely right. TV is, is king with the NFL and it just feels like they're going to come up with a way to make these TV shows happen. Um, also, let's be honest. These, these NFL athletes, they play a really violent sport. Uh, with a ton of risk. Every time they put on a uniform and get on that field, there's risk. So it just feels to me like these players are, are used to the risk and will probably, you know, suit up and play even with, with the COVID situation. Um, I, uh, I think a lot of people like watching NFL games at home. I think a lot of college football fans like to go to the college football environment. It's not just the game. It's, you know, it's the whole, you know, tailgating before and walking around that college town on the day of all that kind of thing. It, it, it feels like college football suffers more by not having fans in the stands. Whereas the NFL can pull off their, their TV package without fans and it, and it would still be an acceptable uh, show to watch. Yeah, and I think NBA and NFL are the two leagues, as far as male athletes are concerned, that will be most looked at when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, we heard Roger Goodell on a video a few weeks ago say that NFL was wrong for their position previously. They support this effort. Um, they've come up with a 10-year, $250 million donation to try and, you know, encourage this movement. And I just think when we're looking at this movement, those are the two leagues that have the opportunity with their platforms to really make the biggest differences in our country. Do you agree with that? And again, this is, this is male NWSL and WNBA are doing a great job as well. But as far as the male leagues go, I think NFL and NBA, that's where the big spotlight's going to be. 100% 100% agree. I mean, look, there's more black athletes that play NFL football and NBA basketball than any of the other leagues. So it, it, that's just a given. And I think, you know, if you're the NFL players, you're watching very closely to see what the NBA does and how they use their platform, um, you know, for Black Lives Matter and, and all of the different ways they want to express themselves, whether it's before the game, uh, on the uniform, uh, all the different ways. And I think you'll see the NFL absolutely follow suit. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've seen Kyrie Irving and, and a few other athletes say that, you know, is returning to sport going to disrupt the black lives matter movement? I'm on the side of, I think this gives you an even bigger platform to get word out on the changes, the tangible changes with police reform and other things that need to take place in our country. I think it gives you a, you know, a big megaphone to be able to go out there and, and have those conversations and get things done. So 
Um, I think it could be a very positive thing to those who don't feel it is. I, I can respect that, but I think the added media exposure is going to be very helpful in, in moving this movement forward. Because look, one of the things I talked about with Coach Fizz a few weeks ago, David Fizdale, the former Knicks coach, is mm-hmm. in our country, things are a big deal for two or three weeks. And then, okay, we're on to the next thing. And it doesn't affect me personally, so I'm not going to pay attention to it. We need to keep this movement going, and we need to keep the momentum going. And I think part of the way to do that is to give the athletes a bigger platform to be able to do that. Yeah, and this is a powerful year politically, really important year. And uh, and, and this is where, you know, we've been arguing all this entire podcast that, you know, sports returning simply to satisfy financial obligations. Well, sports does have a role to play uh, politically this year. And, you know, because of the audience stuck at home watching on television, you know, maybe the biggest platform they've ever had. And so it's going to be fascinating from a messaging and a PR standpoint, you know, to see how the athletes themselves choose to express themselves as well as how the leagues choose to support them. Well, we could do a whole show on how the athletes are utilizing social media right now, how LeBron James is trying to work with other athletes and entertainers to make sure that voting is available to all who are able to vote. And it's not, you know, shut down in certain black communities. Um, But I agree with you. Yeah, this is a very, very important year. And I think the athletes voices are being heard now more than they ever have before. And the nice thing about what's going on right now is, you know, whereas a couple of years ago, people kind of looked at the athlete who was using their voice for things other than sports. Well, could that athlete be a distraction? Colin Kaepernick, things like it. Now they're saying, okay, if you're not using your voice, you're kind of in the minority now. If you're, what's going to be really interesting, Keith, is if you don't kneel with the rest of your teammates, or if you're a coach and you don't kneel, now that's going to be the story. It used to be if you knelt, that was the story. Now if you don't kneel, that's going to be the story. Well, I mean, look at the way the Portland Thorns and the North Carolina Courage of the NWSL and their first, their first match of that, of that tournament, the first broadcast, national broadcast on CBS. All every player was kneeling during the national anthem. And there was even a joint statement that was put out by both clubs endorsed by the league announcing exactly why they were kneeling. And, you know, it's great. It put a lot of pressure on U.S. soccer to support in the same way. Um, so, yeah, it's it, you're going to see a whole different level of uh, messaging. All right. Last thing I want to do with you is a little debate here. As I mentioned earlier, you work for the Portland Timbers. You have a, a deep sponsorship background in addition to events and PR and things like that. But, you know, I'm paid to notice things that other people don't notice. Uh, I have a company called Everything is on the Record. And we saw what happened with NASCAR and Bubba Wallace and the word that a noose was hanging in his garage. And, you know, there was an FBI investigation and, and things like that. We won't get into all of that, but... NASCAR released a picture of the noose that was hanging in the garage or the rope that certainly looked like a noose to me that was hanging in the garage. And in the photo they released, you could also see the branding of one company and it was Kroger. And I know some people out there would go, well, you know, that's not a big deal. But to me, 
you now just brought Kroger into that conversation. They don't want to be in the same picture as a noose. That's probably not good. Well, it's definitely not good uh, brand connection for them. And I go back to a few years ago when the Vikings, Minnesota Vikings, were having a press conference to talk about the Adrian Peterson child abuse allegations. Pictures are being shown and all this stuff. And Radisson Hotel was in the backdrop of this press conference. They were the sponsor on the on the banner with the Vikings. As soon as that press conference was over, Radisson Hotel called the Vikings and said, we're done. We're not a sponsor anymore. We don't want to be associated with child abuse. I thought the same thing when I saw Kroger's branding associated with a noose. I, I don't know any company that would want to be associated with the noose. So I thought that was a little bit of a miss from NASCAR. I have friends at NASCAR. I respect them greatly. But that picture could have been taken from a different angle where hopefully you remove any branding and it's simply just the noose. Well, I think you're asking a lot to take any photo at NASCAR and not have some branding somewhere in the background. Well, then I you mean, blur it out. Right. I get it. And this is where you and I, I look, I, I totally agree. I understand what you're saying. If I'm in, if I work for Kroger and I, and I'm spending a lot of money on a race team or with NASCAR directly. And then this push picture was officially released by NASCAR and my logo's right there. I'm on the phone immediately going, what on earth are you thinking? But it, it, this is so classically, Incident. It wasn't even thought about. I mean, I guarantee you, we're the only show talking about this, so a, and we should be. It's sports business. We're talking about sponsorships all the time. But this is an issue that is so charged and so important and so awful. And so the conversation, the news, is about you know this rope handle being made in the form of a noose. It just so happened there was a Kroger logo. In fact, if you zoom in on the picture, you can probably find about 20 other company logos. That's the reality of NASCAR. So yes, when you work for a sports team, if social media posts something and it doesn't paint any of your sponsors in a good light, that's a problem. Or if it posts a competing sponsor, for that matter, that's a problem. And so it requires the different departments within a sports organization to really kind of understand holistically what you're trying to accomplish. You know, anytime you're, you're promoting something or sharing news. And you're right. It was a, it was a bad choice to, to let that logo, uh, bad decision to let that logo be featured there. But it was, to me, it was so incidental. And honestly, Brian, I don't think, you know, from a purely, you know, um, uh, financial standpoint, people are choosing not to go to Kroger because that logo just happened to be in the background. I agree. It, the lesson here that we're trying to teach the students that listen to this and even the sports organizations that listen to this is, you know, I always talk about nonverbal communicators. You watch someone on TV and you're looking and seeing what are their facial expressions? Are they blinking? What are they wearing? What's the backdrop to the conversation? Are there logos or brands that are part of the conversation? Is someone holding a Starbucks coffee cup in their hand when they're doing the interview? There are so many other details that we're looking at when we're looking at a picture or we're looking at video. And not enough people pay attention to the nonverbal communicators. So this is a lesson to everyone that if you're going to release a picture, if you're going to do something in front of a backdrop, if you're going to wear something – all the nonverbal communicators need to be paid attention to as well as 
what most people focus on is what are we going to say? What's our messaging? What are the words coming out of our mouth? What are the words that are going to be typed in the social media post? But the picture tells a thousand words, as they say. Yeah, no, it's 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 really true. And, you know, it's funny because NASCAR, you know, is often guilty of, of having so many partners that you don't even see anything. You know, it's a classic less is more situation. The less, you know, partners that, that there are. It used to be in baseball, maybe you'd have, you'd have one or two um, sponsors on the outfield wall. And you really saw them all the time. You know, once you decide to just completely sell out the wall, do you really see anything anymore? And at least give the NASCAR credit. Their fan base is loyal to the sponsors in a big way. And they, they are not shy about supporting brands, you know, that, that support their favorite race team or, or, the, or, you know, NASCAR in general. So it's, a, that's a, that's a whole other conversation. You know, we can talk about brand loyalty in sports and why. So we'll end on this. I think, you know, the next conversation we will have is going to be after some of these sports have restarted. And I think we should be looking at a few things. One, what are the safety protocols that are going to be put in place? Because I think a lot of the safety protocols that we see now will be things that remain in place and even grow when fans can actually attend sporting events again, which probably isn't until 2021. But it's going to change how we attend sporting events, and you and I talked about that on April 17th in our last conversation. The other thing is sponsorships. As you pointed out earlier in the conversation, you know, there's not going to be fans in the stands. What are some things that can be done in the stands, on jerseys, as part of the broadcast that can activate while there are no fans in the stands and it's it's really not normal times right now? And then the last thing, Keith, would be, these broadcasts are all going to be different. Are we going to have players and coaches mic'd up? Are we going to have different camera angles? What are they going to do to become creative? To me, so far, the gold standard is still the Turner broadcast of Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady. Yeah, that, it was just, it was phenomenal with Charles Barkley and Justin Thomas and you know, even with a reduced crew, they still had some great coverage of what they did for a live event. And they got us, you know, inside the ropes, so to speak. And and I think that's the best thing I've seen so far broadcast during COVID. What can some of these other sports do to kind of reach that bar? Yeah, and that's a tough standard for these individual game broadcasts to try to, to match. I mean, you're going to see really whittled down production, you know, schedule or teams and, and, you know, the bells and whistles will not be there like they usually are. Obviously for the match, they put a ton of time and, and planning into that. Not unlike the, uh, the NFL draft was another really impressive broadcast, you know, during these, these COVID times. So yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what, you know, creatively or from a technical standpoint, you know, they can pull off, uh, for production. And as far as predictions go, I, you know, there's two things that, that I think are going to influence sport the most over the next, you know, few months. Obviously the, the pandemic and what we're able to mitigate as a country in, in all of these different hotspots. I mean, one of the PR concerns that every league has had is the notion that in order to bring sport back, the players are going to have to receive tests every single day. And are there enough tests? And, you know, you're starting to all of a sudden see this problem where people can't get tested. And so what is the, you know, how does it look 
if you know you've got all these athletes being tested on a daily basis in a hot spot like Orlando, um, you know, or Arizona, and and regular people can't get tests, so that's that's still going to be an issue. And then travel. I mean, if if things don't get better and we don't, you know, try to get this curve flattened during the uh, July, August, September months, and then there is you know, the expected resurgence. If you go back to previous pandemics, there's another wave. We keep waiting, you know, to find out what does that wave really look like? Um, the thought of traveling just doesn't seem possible. And so if you're a college football team trying to travel, you know, in the fall or the winter across the country or NFL, it just, the travel component alone to me from the broadcast standpoint, team standpoint, personnel, um, sponsor all of it. That that's going to be a real issue. Well, and the last thing I'll say is this: there's a lot of naysayers about COVID and the impact it's had, and it only affects older people. And you know, if young people get it, they can recover quickly and and you know lead a normal life. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not playing God with anyone's life. I'm not risking anyone's life, young or old. I think everyone needs to take this seriously. And for the people who are so you know, callous to say, well, it's only old people dying and they were going to die anyways. That's ridiculous. Like everyone needs to be safe. Everyone, I'm going to say it right now on the show, everyone should be wearing a mask. I've seen videos this weekend of people having meltdown because they walked into a store and someone asked them to put a mask on and they threw all the stuff out of their shopping cart and stormed out of the, I mean, really, is it really that hard to wear a mask? Just even if you're not going to think of yourself and you think you're immortal, do it for the people around you. Yeah. And and yeah, you, it, it's just yeah. not that hard. If you can wear a seatbelt, if you can wear shoes and, and, and a shirt into a restaurant, you can wear a mask. And it's really simple. It is. If everybody wore a mask, uh, we'd get all our sports back. We'd get your toys back. Just if everybody wore a mask for, for three, four, five months, we would kill this thing off and we can all play sports again. Well, and, and let's use New Zealand as the example, right? So New Zealand has returned to sports. They have fans in the stands. They did everything they needed to to flatten the curve. But here in America, we're used to our freedoms. We're used to doing things as we want whenever we want. And I've said this many times on the show, and I'll say it again. If it doesn't impact us directly – we pay less attention to it. Oh, that's someone else's problem. Oh, too bad for them. No, this is, we're all in the same boat. So certain states are going to have hot spots more than others, but we can all wear masks. And the sooner we wrap our minds around that, the sooner we are going to be able to return to sport. And again, I'm not playing God with anyone's life. I'm not saying, oh, well, I'm in a place where there's younger people. I'm not going to wear a mask. But when I go around older people, I'll put a mask on. That just it makes no sense at all. Yeah. And if you don't believe this is serious, just go talk to a hospital worker in Houston right now or in Phoenix. Right. You know, or somewhere in Florida or in Georgia or in New York or in Southern California. I mean, this is real. This is very, very real. And sports are so trivial. Um, in, in the bigger picture of things, but it's a business. It's a big part of the business world here in this country. People do love it. They do want it. It does give people hope. It's fun. It's entertaining. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a place for sports and, um, hopefully we can all as a group, as a country do the right thing to get our sports back. All right. Keith Foreman, co-founder of sports business radio. We'll bring him back in the next month. 
and we'll see where we are then as, as we'll be further along and we'll have a better story of uh, how this restart is going for all the leagues that we've discussed today. Keith, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm thrilled to tell you about a new Sports Business Radio partner who's going to help you and whose products have been life-changing for me and my family. CBDMD is now the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Many people use CBD products as a regular part of their health and wellness routines, but only the best use superior products from CBDMD. CBDMD has a wide variety of CBD oil products ranging from classic CBD oil tinctures to topicals, gummies, heck, they even have CBD for your pets. From NFL veterans like Nate Burleson and future Hall of Famer Steve Smith Sr. to two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson, CBDMD is tested and trusted by people who know pain. And the best part? All CBDMD products are THC-free. That was important for me. Third-party tested and backed by a 60-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. Look, these are anxious times for many of us right now. We're not sleeping nearly as well. I tried CBDMD's award-winning CBD PM drops, and I now sleep through the night. My daughter loves CBDMD's Revive Moisturizing Lotion and the CBDMD Freeze Pain Roller for her aches and pains from playing sports. And our dog loves the CBDMD Soft Shoes. And because the products are all THC-free, CBDMD is safe for our family. Dozens of companies have sent me CBD product to try over the years, but none come close to the superior quality of CBDMD. Sleep better, relieve your aches and pains, give your pets treats that they will love. And to make it even easier to see what CBD can do for you, CBDMD is offering all of our listeners 25% off your order when you use the promo code SBR at checkout. Once again, go to cbdmd.com and use promo code SBR at checkout to save 25% on your purchase of superior CBD oil products from CBDMD. Again, cbdmd.com, use the promo code SBR at checkout and save 25%. Thank me later. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.